Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me once again to John chapter 10. And this morning we will begin in verse 22. This is the third and final message on the theme, Jesus the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30. It was seven years ago that a town in Spain was basically shut down, at least for a while, by an invasion of sheep. About 1,300 sheep left the countryside outside of Huesca, Spain, and made their way into the center of the town. And for a while, it shut down traffic. For a while, it closed access to businesses, and of course, the question that everybody was asking was, where's the shepherd? Was he injured? Did he die? Surely something terrible must have happened to him. And so the police went looking, and eventually they found him. He was asleep, taking a nap. In the middle of the night, he said to himself, I'm tired, I'm just going to lie down and close my eyes just for a few minutes. The sheep aren't going anywhere. Well, a few minutes turned into hours. And when the police finally found him and when they awakened him, turns out that his entire flock was long gone and had wandered away. Well, I don't know about you, but I am so glad that our shepherd does not take naps. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Jesus is that shepherd who is always watching over his flock. And this is why twice in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this great statement. And he says, I am the good shepherd. This is one of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus takes that holy name of God by which God identified himself to Moses and he applies it to himself. Now these last two weeks, we have seen some of the reasons why this is true, why Jesus is the good shepherd. We saw last week he's the good shepherd because he voluntarily lays down his life for the sheep. We saw that he is the good shepherd because he enters by the door. In other words, he fulfilled all of the scriptures. He's the good shepherd because he knows us. He cares for us. He loves us. He's the good shepherd because he leads us into those pastures of salvation and eternal life and abundant life for all of these reasons and so many more. Jesus is the good shepherd but he's not everybody's shepherd. We've noticed these last two weeks that in John chapter 10, Jesus makes a distinction between the sheep and his sheep. Not all of the sheep belong to his flock because not everyone believes in him. Not everyone is willing to follow him in spite of all that he has done for them. And so then the question becomes, how can we tell which sheep truly belong to Jesus? Well, this morning we're going to see a couple of the things that are true about those sheep which truly belong to Jesus' flock. 
We're going to notice, first of all, the characteristics true sheep will display. The characteristics true sheep will display. Look at verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, you're going to notice that several months have passed in between verses 21 and 22. Now it's winter. John places this story right here, however, because once again, Jesus is going to use this shepherd and sheep analogy. But he tells us that it was the Feast of Dedication. We have these days another name for this. We call it Hanukkah. It's the only time this feast is mentioned in all of the Bible. And if you know the background, it is that story. It was really a celebration of that time when the Jews, under the leadership of a man named Judas Maccabeus, he led a revolt against this really evil man, this Syrian ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. He so oppressed the Jews. He tried to forbid them from observing the Sabbath, would not allow them to circumcise their male children. But then he crossed the line. He went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig in the temple. And boy, when he did that, the Jews said, that's it. We've had enough. This means war. Not all that unsimilar from what is happening in Gaza right now. But there was this conflict and they prevailed. And this feast that John mentions here was a celebration of a military victory over their oppressors. But in John chapter 10, who were their oppressors? The Romans were. And so when the feast of dedication would come, it's like the people would get a little bit excited and everyone was wondering who would be their deliverer this time. Everyone was waiting for and looking for that Messiah whom they believed would come and lead them to a political victory. Now that is what they had in mind when they asked Jesus this question in verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Two key words that I want you to notice here, the words... Doubt and believe. They asked Jesus, how long will you keep us in doubt? Jesus answered and basically said to them, hey, doubt is not your problem. Your problem is not doubt. Your problem is unbelief. You will not believe. They refused to believe. We're told in John chapter 3, because... They preferred darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There is a very big difference between doubt and unbelief. What's the difference? Well, doubt looks for answers. Unbelief looks for excuses. Doubt says, I'm willing to believe, but I have questions. 
Unbelief says, I refuse to believe no matter how many of my questions are answered. And their excuse to Jesus was, well, Jesus, you haven't really told us. You haven't been clear enough. You need to speak plainly. And so Jesus tells them, he said, I did tell you. He had told them again and again, if you've been with us in our series in the Gospel of John, how many times had he told them, we think of Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4, she said, I know that in the end the Messiah will come, and Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. We know that he claimed to be the prophet that Moses had promised, whom everyone understood to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the I am. If that's not enough, he said, the works that I do testify of me. We saw in chapter 9 where Jesus healed the man who was born blind. He healed the blind. That was something the prophet said the Messiah would do. Back in chapter 7, the people even said, hey, when the Messiah does come, do we expect him to do more works than these? More works than Jesus has done? So Jesus had told them everything they needed to hear, and he had shown them everything they needed to see. Again, their problem was not genuine doubt. Their problem was unbelief. Now, this leads to the first characteristic of true sheep. True sheep exercise faith in Jesus. True sheep exercise faith in Jesus. Look at verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, the fact that they did not believe the claims Jesus made about himself is evidence of the fact that they had never been saved and they were not his sheep. Some of them will become his sheep later on but they were not his sheep in John chapter 10 because this is what true sheep do. They intentionally place their faith in him. They base their lives on what Jesus says. This does not mean that we never experience doubts. This does not mean that 100% of our questions are answered but it does mean that God will answer enough questions and God will give us enough evidence to believe if we are willing to believe. True sheep exercise faith in Jesus and then also true sheep hear Jesus' voice. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. This is the fourth time in this passage that we see Jesus making this claim that his sheep hear his voice. What does it mean to hear his voice? I would point out, first of all, that verb to hear, it is in the present active tense. In other words, they're continually hearing his voice. Jesus is not talking about hearing the call to salvation, that initial moment that someone is saved, here he's talking about a way of life. He's talking about a characteristic of someone who is already a sheep. You know, sometimes we talk about this, 
And that's good, but sometimes, if you're like me, if you're a visual learner, it helps to see what this looks like. Now, I saw a video from Germany in which they did an experiment. There was a shepherd who invited others to come to his sheepfold and to take turns calling his flock to see how they would respond. And one after another, the different shepherds stood up and they took turns and they called the sheep. And then after none of the sheep responded, after all of the sheep ignored those other shepherds completely, then came their true shepherd and he began to call them as he had done so many times before. And I want you to take a look at this video and notice how they responded. Here are these sheep all over this field. And the moment they hear his voice, they all come running to him. Now, the way these sheep respond to that shepherd is a picture of how a true child of God responds to Jesus. He doesn't speak audibly. It's actually much louder than that, if you know what I mean. He speaks primarily through his word. He speaks through the still small voice of his spirit. Sometimes he speaks to us through our circumstances. Sometimes he speaks to us through other people. But true sheep hear and respond because they are listening. This is one of the characteristics of someone who is truly a sheep, someone who belongs to his flock. I heard about a man once who walked into a china cabinet, a china shop, excuse me, and he said, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a glass that is pitched to the key of G. Well, the owner of that shop said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard in all of my life. How in the world would I know which uh, glasses are pitched to the key of G? The man pulled out this thing called a tuning fork, which was tuned to the key of G. When he struck it, all of a sudden, those glasses in the shop, which were tuned to the key of G, they all began to vibrate. Well, if you are a child of God, the Word of God has a way of resonating with you. It is as if your heart is pitched to God's Word. It's as if your heart is pitched to God's will. Why? Because His sheep hear His voice. True sheep also are known by Jesus personally. Again, in verse 27, Jesus says, and I know them. It's not just that they know Jesus. Jesus knows them. You know, there are a lot of famous people I know, but none of them know me. It's one thing to know someone. It's another thing to be known by them. And according to Jesus, there will be many people who stand before God at judgment thinking they are saved only to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Not, I once knew you. No, I never knew you. And it's not that Jesus did not know who they are. He did not and does not know them personally. There's not that personal relationship with Christ. Well, true sheep are known by Jesus personally, but also true sheep follow Jesus. 
He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I know this is so basic and yet it needs to be said. It needs to be said. True sheep follow Jesus. It's what they do. And following Jesus here is not just intellectually agreeing with what Jesus says. Following Jesus is not just being in agreement with the basic historical facts of the gospel. Following Jesus is not just praying a prayer and then forgetting all about it. To follow Jesus means we follow his example, we follow his will, we follow his ways, we follow his commands. Now, do any of us follow him perfectly? Of course not. But it is inconceivable that someone who is not following Jesus would then start following Jesus and there not be any discernible difference in that person's life. Someone will say, oh, I don't know, Pastor. I know a lot of Christians who don't look or act anything like Jesus. No, you don't. No, you really don't. You may know some goats. You may know some wolves who are dressed in sheep's clothing. That's something entirely different. But true sheep follow Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get back to the point in which this is the expectation. We've got to get back to the point where we understand this is the norm. We expect that we will be different from the world because we expect that true sheep follow Jesus. And so if you've ever asked that question where you've questioned your salvation, John 10 is a great place to start. This is a great place to go and just ask yourself, do these characteristics describe my life? True sheep exercise faith in Jesus. Do you trust him? Have you based your life on who he is and what he says? They hear his voice. Do you hear God speak, especially through his word? They're known by Jesus personally. They have this personal relationship with him. They follow him. These are the true sheep. Another thing we see about these sheep in this passage, we also see the protection true sheep can enjoy. The protection true sheep can enjoy. What follows, starting in verse 28, is not only one of my favorite passages in all of the Word of God, but it's really one of the most precious promises in all of Scripture. Because it is here that the Word of God most clearly lays out this doctrine, this glorious doctrine that we call the doctrine of eternal security. That means that the person who is a true sheep, who has been truly saved, will remain saved. They are eternally secure. They will never lose their salvation because Jesus, the good shepherd, knows how to protect the sheep. One of the big questions that people ask, especially new believers, they will ask, once someone has been saved, 
can they ever lose their salvation? When someone has been saved, can they ever be lost again after that? Well, let's just let Jesus answer that question. Look at verse 28. In fact, if you'd put this on the screen, I want us all to say this verse out loud together. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Christian brother, Christian sister, if you've ever wondered whether God's given up on you, whether he's thrown the towel in on you, look closely at these words, memorize them, hide them in your heart, because every single word of that verse is so full of meaning. And it tells us some things about the salvation of every single believer, every person who is a true sheep. The salvation of everyone who's truly been saved. First of all, we notice that it is immediate. It is immediate. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Now, notice a couple of things that he does not say. He does not say, I reward them with eternal life. Because eternal life is not something that we earn or deserve by a lifetime of good works. Eternal life is not a prize that you achieve. It is a gift that you receive. Your salvation does not depend on what you do for God. It depends on what God has already done for you and me in Christ. Notice what else Jesus did not say. He did not say, I will give them eternal life. In other words, one day, if you could hold on, if you somehow make it to the finish line, maybe then you will have eternal life. Oh, no. He gives it to you now, that moment you become a sheep, a follower of Christ. John 5.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. In other words, right now, it is a present possession. Eternal life is not something you receive when you die. Eternal life is what you receive when you are saved. The believer's salvation, therefore, it is immediate and it is permanent. What kind of life does Jesus give us? He calls it eternal life. Let me ask you a question. How long does eternal life last? It lasts for eternity. If a person is saved and they lose their salvation five years later, that's not eternal life. By definition, that's five-year life. By definition, eternal life does not end, and therefore, it cannot be lost. 
Sometimes you will purchase something. Maybe you'll buy a car. Maybe you'll buy an appliance. And it will come with a warranty. For example, I'll just tell you, right now, my dishwasher is broken. But that's okay. Because I have a warranty that runs out at the end of this month. Hey, two weeks early is better than two weeks late, right? Now, if I wait more than two weeks to call, that warranty will expire and I'm on my own. Well, folks, I've got good news for you. Our salvation is under a divine warranty and God's warranty never expires. First Peter 1 says that our inheritance, it is imperishable and it is undefiled and it will not fade away because it is reserved in heaven and protected by the power of God. That's permanent. It is immediate. It's permanent. And it is also irrevocable. It's irrevocable. Jesus is speaking of his sheep, and he says, and they shall never perish. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, even though I had to sit through that for four years of my life. But I looked up this verse. I still remember a lot. I looked up this verse. And when it comes to this statement, do you know what Jesus says? In the Greek, it's about twice as long. He says, they shall not perish ever for all eternity. He uses three different words to emphasize the fact that the true sheep will not perish under any circumstances, not now, not tomorrow, not ever. How could he be more clear? God only has to make a promise one time for that promise to be valid. If John 10, 28 were the only verse we had in the Bible on this topic, and it's not, but if it were the only one, this would be enough Jesus promises that his sheep will never perish. That means for a child of God who's been saved, truly saved, to lose their salvation, Jesus would have to break his promise to us. Folks, there's nothing you will ever do to make Jesus break his promise to you. One more thing about the believer's salvation. It is secure. It is secure. The end of verse 28 says, Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That moment a person is saved, it's as if they are in Jesus' hand. That means protection. That means security. That means that Jesus is holding us. I think a lot of people live unnecessarily in doubt. I think a lot of people fail to grasp this doctrine of eternal security because they've been led to believe that their security is about their ability to hold on to God. Heard the story about the man who went for a walk with his little girl, and as they were walking, she squeezed his hand so tightly 
But he kept walking and eventually she looked up at him and said, Daddy, hold my hand. And he said, Silly, I am holding your hand. She said, No, I'm holding your hand. I want you to hold mine. Well, folks, if salvation were about our ability to hold on to him, we'd all be in a whole lot of trouble. But it's not about our ability to hold on to God. It's about God's ability to hold on to us. Jesus said the the believer is in his hand, and notice, neither shall anyone snatch them out. Now, someone might try to say, well, God won't take my salvation from me. Others cannot take my salvation from me, but I can turn it back in. No, because when Jesus said, Neither can anyone snatch them out. Anyone includes me. Anyone includes you. No one can snatch us out of God's hands, and we cannot snatch ourselves out of God's hand. Now, he then proceeds to tell us why it is no one can snatch us out of God's hand. Look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, the reason why no one can snatch us out of his hand, Jesus said, is because his Father is greater than all. And I want you to think for just a moment about what it is Jesus is really saying here. For us to be snatched out, of God's hand for a believer to lose his or her salvation. That means someone greater and someone stronger than God would have to come along and do it. And there is no one greater than our God. Furthermore, in verse 28, Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Then he turns around in the very next verse, and he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You might read this and think, well, which one is it? The answer is yes. It's both. And he finishes by saying, the Father and I are one. Now, he makes this statement here. We'll see it again later on in the Gospel of John. But he makes this statement here because for someone to be able to break this bond that we have with God in Christ Jesus, they would first have to break the bond that exists between God the Father and God the Son. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the strongest and the greatest bond In the universe, this bond cannot be broken. And so how secure is the believer's relationship to Christ as secure as the relationship between the persons of the Trinity? That's how strong it is. The believer's salvation is immediate and permanent and irrevocable and secure You put it all together. If you have salvation, you never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. 
Now, some people will object to this using logic, and I have heard people say, well, that cannot be so because if the Christian cannot lose their salvation, that means they have a license to sin. They could say, well, now that I'm saved, I can sin as much as I want. No matter what I do, I'm still going to heaven. Well, folks, a sheep, a true sheep, would never say that. In fact, I don't believe that a true sheep would even think that. Knowing that God has saved us and knowing that God keeps us and protects us, that does not motivate us to sin. That motivates us to follow Jesus even more. A few years ago, for our 20th anniversary, my wife and I uh, flew to California. We started off in San Francisco, and we drove over the famous Golden Gate Bridge. I remember, as we crossed over that bridge, being reminded of how that bridge was completed. It was built starting back in 1937. At the time they built it, it was then the largest suspension bridge in the world. But when they first started building that bridge, there were not many safety precautions that were taken. And as a result, during the construction, there were 23 men who while working on that bridge, fell to their deaths in the water below. Not only were many of the construction workers dying, but the work went extremely slowly. It was uh, over time and over budget because the men were so afraid. And we can understand that. Eventually, something had to be done, so they came up with an ingenious plan. The largest safety net in the world was made and was stretched out beneath the workers so that if anyone fell, it would catch them. That net turned out to be one of the greatest investments they ever made. It saved the lives of at least 10 men who fell and were caught by that net without any injury whatsoever. Not only did it save lives, but when they spread out that net, they noticed that the work started to go faster. In fact, 25% faster. You see, the men could work faster, and they could work harder, because they were no longer worried about falling to their deaths. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a net of eternal security that hangs below every born-again child of God. Jude 24 says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And knowing that my salvation is eternally secure means I can have confidence now. That means I can rejoice now. I can have blessed assurance right now. That means I can serve God wholeheartedly and I can push forward 
joyfully no matter what I'm going through in life because I know that there's nothing, nothing whatsoever that can separate me from the love of God in Christ. And the protection that Jesus gives to his sheep, he offers to you, to every man, woman, boy, and girl, to everyone who will believe, calling upon his name. Heavenly Father, we understand that not all sheep are Jesus' sheep, and not all sheep belong to his flock. And so we thank you, Jesus, first of all, for making it so clear. Because how could it be more clear? You tell us exactly what is true of those who are real sheep, who really belong to Jesus. And so I pray that everyone here, we'd be able to examine our lives and look at these characteristics and see them being displayed. And we know that none of us here display them perfectly, but we ask that you would help us to display them more. That day by day, we would have even more faith in you. That day by day, we would hear you speak even more clearly. That we would follow you more closely. And we thank you that as we follow Jesus, those who are saved can rest assured that their salvation is eternally secure, not because this preacher said so, but because Jesus said clearly in his word, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We're so glad that you have your hand on us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. But you hold us, you keep us, and you promise us you will never let go. Thank you, O oh God. If there's anyone here today who needs to join this flock, who needs to become one of Jesus' sheep by placing their faith in him, oh, I pray this would be that day, that day of salvation for them. Would you speak to hearts like only you can do that they would respond by calling on Jesus as Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. So we just continue in prayer for just a moment. Jesus said, in addition to, I am the good shepherd, he said, I am the door. If anyone comes in by me, he'll have life, eternal life, abundant life. Has there been that time in your life where you took that step of faith and you placed your faith in Christ as Lord of all? Is he your shepherd? Do these characteristics describe you? Not perfectly, none of us are perfect, but can you say yes, these Characteristics describe me. There's a difference. I'm not who I used to be before I came to Christ, before I was saved. Well, if not right now, he's issuing that invitation. He says, come, come to me. You can be a part of his flock. The Bible says Jesus came from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin, born under the law, lived a perfect life without sin for you and for me, kind of like he took the test on our behalf, the test of life on our behalf. He passed it perfectly flying colors, and then he went to the cross and took the punishment that belonged to us, those of us who had broken the law, because we're all lawbreakers, all have sinned. He took our place, he died on the cross because he loved you so much, and then he rose again on the third day. He is alive, he is Lord, and he 
promises to save whosoever shall call upon his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Has there been that time in your life where you've called on him and said, Jesus, right now, I want to follow you as Lord of my life. That means my master, my king, my ruler, my leader. Jesus, I will follow you. If not, you need to take that step this morning. You're willing to say, yes, I will follow Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Maybe, you know, you've done the church thing, you've done the religious thing, you've gone through the motions, but has there been that time where you became a follower of Christ when you were born again? If you're watching online, want to hear from you as well, please send a text message to that number on the screen. 24-7, pray and let us know uh, that step of faith you're taking, or if you have questions, or if you want to know more about what this means to be a follower of Christ, we would love to have that conversation with you today. Amen.